And uh, we, we need to be ready. I love skit guys. They, they put a fun spin on everything and an appropriate beginning to a new series. Uh, it's funny, every time in my uh, whole ministry that I've ever preached a series on love or ro- relationships, romance, marriage, any of those kinds of subjects, it has two different types of responses and they're polar opposites and uh, it's no different in the series that we're starting now. Uh, Some people love it and invite all their friends to come to it, and other people hate it, and they will find another church to go to or will stay at home for a month because uh, it just is a reminder of miserable things for them. And so uh, let me just say on the front end, this is going to be a fun series. This is going to be a series that's worthy of inviting your friends to, whether they are uh, married or single or in a relationship or or wishing they were in a relationship. Uh, This is going to be a series that speaks to all of our different situations, and so I'm glad that you're here. And would encourage you to reach out to others. If you were at that place that you came in today and you saw the outline, you saw the title, and you're going, oh man, I wish I had gone to Walmart or played golf or something today, just hang on because uh, there's good stuff to be had today. As we look at uh, a beginning point for this message that is actually going to be first and foremost uh, today designed for single people, but for all the married folks who are going, well, why am I here Let me just remind you that what we'll talk about today, as we look at the matter of how to find the love of a lifetime, how to find that person who will love you over the long haul, and if you're thinking, well, I'm already in a relationship, what good is this going to do me? Let me just remind you of this. For all of us who are parents and grandparents, there are a few things that we can pass on to our kids that would be of greater value than to pass on to them some really solid truth for them to hold on to in figuring out how do I position myself to find the right mate for a lifetime because that's a huge decision. How many of you would agree that next to the decision to trust Christ that there is no other decision in life that's going to have more to do with how happy and satisfied and content you'll be in life than the decision you make with who you'll spend your life with? We all know that's the case. If you've been in a relationship, you know this one is huge. We can all agree with Terry McDonald who said this, the quality of the love relationships in your life is the single most important predictor of your overall satisfaction in life. Ain't that the truth? Because we were designed for love. We were designed for relationships. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 He's been talking about all of these different ways that the work of God in us, the work of His Spirit in us is manifest. And he talks about all the different gifts that the Holy Spirit can pour into us. But then he pauses. He's in a three-chapter, just long explanation about spiritual gifts. But he pauses in the middle of that and he inserts this these thoughts in 1 Corinthians 13. We all know it as the love chapter. And essentially what he says in that chapter is this. You know, he's been talking about gifts like tongues and interpreting tongues and gifts of prophecy. And he says, you know, if I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but if I don't have love, I'm just making noise. And if I had the gift of prophecy and I could understand all mysteries, if I had all of this knowledge and divine insight, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And he concludes that chapter with that that wonderful verse that says, Now these three remain, and he's going to name three biggies. Faith, think how important that is. Hope, such a vital part of survival and, and being a healthy person, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is what you were wired for. This is what you were designed for. 
You may say, yeah, I get all that. That's the problem. Thanks for reminding me of why I'm unhappy because I've been unlucky in love. There are a lot of people today, married and single, who feel miserable because they don't feel like the love part of, of their life has ever really worked out. I was curious to read this week that uh, today, there are, in terms of percentages, there are less married people in America than there ever have been before in history. 51% of adult Americans are married. So 49% of the adult population is not married. And it's really shocking to see, of all those who are single, the percentage who do not say that they would like to be married. There are just a lot of people who are getting to the point that they're, they just feel like, it doesn't work for me. I'm just unlucky in love. Well, if that's how you feel, let's begin with a good reminder from that Roman philosopher Seneca who said this about luck, that luck happens when preparation meets opportunity. Well, that's true in a lot of things, isn't it? Luck happens when preparation links up with opportunity. We want to make sure that we do the preparation part so that we are positioned and ready for a healthy relationship. So as we think together about that, I want to share with you, and, and listen, this is not a recipe that's guaranteed to get you this outcome. If I do one, two, three, four, five, then ta-da, I'm going to have a hot wife. I'm going to have a sexy husband. That, we're not offering any guarantees with this. This is all we can say is when we follow the five principles that we're going to talk about today, we're going to be in a much better position that will greatly increase the likelihood that we could find a meaningful relationship that will last. So I want to share with you five principles, practical stuff. If you're single, man, this is stuff you can use right now. If you're married, some of this you can use in your relationship, but some of it's going to be very valuable to pass on to your kids and to your grandkids. The first principle, the first truth is, is this. You start by knowing yourself and how God has shaped you. Galatians 6 says, Make a careful exploration of who you are and the work that you've been given. You are not going to be positioned well for a relationship, for a deep love relationship, until you understand some things about yourself. And this is an even greater challenge for people who have been in a relationship where they have been sort of dominated by the other person or where they've yielded their wishes and, and, and their passions and, and dreams most of the time to the other person and now they're not in that relationship anymore. And some of you can relate to what I'm talking about, that you get to a place that you feel like, I don't really even know myself. I don't know what I'm passionate about. I don't know what I really love. I don't know what I really value because I've always thought in terms of, of we and us, and when you really get down to it, for many who have been married before, everything revolves so much around your spouse and what they wanted and what they were interested in and what they were passionate about that it's like now, apart from them, you're just kind of going, I don't even really know what any of those things are for me. And let me say, you're not ready for a, an intimate relationship yet if that's where you are because you're going to need to really come to terms with some basic things like, first of all, what do you value? I mean, here's a good beginning point. Make a list, make a written list of the ten things or people that you value the most. And I'm not going to take a long time to flesh that out, but just think through what some of those things are. What do you really value, whether you're married or single? What are the things that you value the most? Some, if you're honest, would say, man, I value my career. That's really important. Or I value how I look and how, how healthy and fit that I am. Some value money. 
home, possessions. Some value education. That that's tremendously important. Finishing your education, getting an education, being with someone who's educated. Um, for many who, who already have kids, man, children, that'll be way, way up on the list that that's a high, high value for you. The list can go in a lot of different directions. Uh, it's amazing today how many people are going to have pets in their top ten list. Isn't it weird how much that has changed in a generation? And now, I mean, people treat their pets as if they were their kids. Hey, you, you better understand that when you go into a relationship. Sometimes you're not just marrying a person or, or you know, loving a person. You better love a person and a couple of dogs or a couple of cats or something. You know, it, It's a package deal. But figure out. There's not a right and a wrong to this. You just need to know. Start by knowing yourself and what you value. Now, what good does that do you? Well, it doesn't do you any good unless you're willing to... As you begin to get to know people and consider dating people and go out with some people and you begin to lay those things alongside of what they value, do not fall into the trap of just deciding, oh, I'm so moved by the fact that they took notice of me, that they care about me, that she's cute, that he's a hunk. And so, you know, I don't care about anything else as long as they're willing to spend time with me and they're good looking. Hey, I want to tell you, you can be miserable with a good looking person. A lot of folks are. In fact, looks can be a stumbling block because we're just so oh, over how hot somebody looks that we run past pausing to consider what do they care about? What do they value and how well does that line up with what I care about? Because I want to tell you, if you love kids or you've got kids and they don't care anything about kids, you've got a problem. You better look on down the line because you've got a major problem. Now, there are some values that you don't have to share in common. You don't have to go 10 for 10 perfectly lining up with each other, but you better have a bunch of values that do line up with each other. If you value the relationships that you have with your extended family, you better think long and hard about getting in a relationship with someone who can't stand their family and clearly has no interest in having in-laws and any meaningful relationship with in-laws because it'll be constant friction and holidays will feel like visits to hell won't they? Some of you are like, yep, I've been there. Every Christmas is a visit to hell. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's miserable, isn't it? This is the kind of stuff that if you're not married yet, you'd better carefully take into account. And it starts by knowing yourself. Here's the second thing about knowing yourself is, and I'm going to tell you, I was mentioning this to our leadership team when we prayed earlier this morning. Of all the messages that I'll share this year, and I would certainly say of the messages that I'll share in this series, today's message is one of the most important of the year, and it's probably the most important of the series. And I'll guarantee you this, it, it will almost certainly be the most ignored message that I'll preach in 2015. Because that's how people are about love. Folks will nod their heads and agree and say, that's right, that, that was some good stuff, preacher. And then when it comes to love, it'll be like, forget all that, he's hot. She's sexy. Forget what he said. We, it just, we will set this stuff aside as, I, I know, that was all well and good, but you ain't seen her yet. You see her in a swimsuit, you will forget all that stuff about values. You know, isn't it crazy? A decision as big as this, we better move beyond hormones and hotness and think this thing through. Because here's the second question, and this is the question that we are most likely to ignore and run past. If you are single, you better underline this one. 
you better star this one. You better make yourself look hard in the mirror and ask, am I in a healthy place for a relationship? And really make yourself wrestle with whether or not that's the case. How do you know whether you're in a healthy place for, for a relationship? Well, okay, for starters, if you're married, you are not in a healthy place for a new relationship. Amen? All right, we're going to just run past that. That's a given. But how do you know as a single person that you're in a healthy place for a relationship? There, there is no super easy way to say that. It's easier to define some, some times and ways that you can know that you are not in a healthy place for a relationship. Let, let's give some obvious ones. If you have just gone through a divorce and you're in the first 12 months, you are not open, do not need to be open, you are not prepared for a new relationship. Not a boy-girl dating relationship. I'm going to be a legalist on this. If you have been divorced in the last 12 months, tell yourself, not an option. Go on the calendar. Mark out 12 months. Figure out what 12 months would be and, and mark that date because you don't let yourself starting, start dating before that date. If you have been in a long-term intense, intimate relationship, that even one that wasn't married, marriage, for the next several months after you come out of that intense dating relationship, you are not a candidate for a new relationship yet. I don't care if you think that you are Superman. Emotionally, it is impossible to come out of an intimate relationship where you have been so involved with another and be prepared to connect in another healthy relationship just like that. Nobody's capable of doing that well. There's stuff that we've got to work through. Here's a second, you know, clear one that we can just lay out there. If you are working a recovery plan, if you are working the 12 steps and you are in that first one-year window, you are not a candidate for an intimate relationship, for a dating relationship. Give yourself that year to get healthy. Be a legalist about this. You, if you're working the steps... It says wonderful things about you and, and your courage and your willingness to do what it takes to get to a healthier place in your life. That is to be applauded, but that will only get tripped up if you get tangled up with a guy or a gal romantically. Give yourself that window of at least a year to work through the steps and then from a good position move into a relationship. The other part of this question of asking, am I ready for a relationship is to just ask yourself, am I spiritually and emotionally at a reasonably healthy place? And again, just be honest. Too many times I'll hear people just say, well, I know spiritually I'm not where I need to be. If that's the case, do something about it. Call time out for a little while and get to a better place spiritually. I mean, that ain't rocket science. If I'm not at a good place spiritually, I know the things that I need to do to get to a better place. And I probably don't have to tell you the things to, that you need to do to get to a better place. Whatever it's going to take, understand, hey, if I'm not at a good place spiritually, I need Jesus to be my boyfriend for a while. I need Jesus to be the lover of my soul for a season where nobody else is. And then from that position, I'm in a much better spot to love somebody else well and make a good choice about that. Because the great risk is when I'm not at a healthy place with Jesus, I'm going to let somebody come in and take Jesus' place in my life. And that's almost never going to be a healthy relationship. It's going to go bad places. I'm going to let myself get connected to unhealthy people. So I've got to determine I'm going to get to a healthy place spiritually. But the other piece is 
I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to a healthy place emotionally if I look at myself and realize I'm not at a good place emotionally. And again, it's tempting to let a relationship become the crutch that enables us to cope with the fact that we're not healthy emotionally. You ever been there? Like you're, you're struggling with just a terrible self-image. You're struggling with depression or loneliness. And, and it's just becoming a daily battle to deal with those things. And the easiest fix for that is I'll just get in a, in a steady relationship with someone. And I'll feel better about myself. I won't spend as much time alone. I'll have someone giving me attention. And that naturally bolsters our, our sense of, of overall well-being for a season. And when we come out of an emotionally unhealthy state and just grab onto someone so that we feel better, the likelihood is much greater that we'll grab onto somebody that's not a good match for us. Instead, choose to do the things that are going to help you get to a better state emotionally. How do you do that? Well, we don't have time today to unpack all of that question. But suffice it to say, we all know ways that you can help get there. Hey, if you need to get in counseling, get in counseling. When I went through a divorce a few years ago, I spent the next year in counseling and it wasn't because I was just about to kill myself and just couldn't figure out how I could go on with life. It was a difficult season. But the thing that I knew was you can't go through the hurt, the heartache, the heartbreak that happens in a divorce and it not tremendously affect your mind and your heart. And I knew whether I would ever marry again, whatever else would happen in my life, that I was going to need some help to get back to a much healthier place emotionally. And so I made a commitment. I'm going to spend this year in counseling, not because I don't know how I'm going to survive without this. It wasn't about that. I wanted to be an emotionally healthy person. It's going to take you some time. It may take you some money. It's going to take some effort to get to a better place emotionally if you're not there now. One of the things that I did, and I don't, I'm not embarrassed at all to admit this, my doctor, thankfully, was willing to just be direct with me, knowing that I was going through what I was going through in that season. And she said, you need to go ahead and get on a, a mild antidepressant and just take that for the next few months. And I'm like, I don't want to take an antidepressant. I don't, you know, this is difficult, but I don't think I'm struggling with depression. And she said, understand how this works. The level of stress that you're living with going through a divorce, that you have no choice in this. Your body will be, because of stress, will be completely depleted of some of the basic chemicals that are necessary for you to not feel depressed. And she said, all we're going to do is just replenish those and then let you come off of that. I'm so glad she did that for the next several months. For some people, some of you who like wrestle with, oh, I don't know if I should be taking this. Or Look, it, there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing unchristian about using medication to help you whenever you need that. If you need counseling, if you need medication, whatever it's going to take, get the help that you need to get yourself to a healthier place. But don't let a romantic relationship take the place of doing the hard work of getting spiritually and emotionally healthy. Make sense? Everybody with me there? All right. Number two. Second principle is beyond just knowing yourself, get clear on your musts and your must nots. I mean, to the point that you write these down. What do we mean when we say get clear on your must and your must nots? We're talking about somebody that you would consider being in a relationship with, someone that you might consider marrying. You have it spelled out. I will not be with a person who does this or has this in their life or in their past. And anyone that I would be with, they absolutely must. They absolutely have to possess these qualities. How clear are you on those things? 
If you're married, how clear were you on those things before you got married? Some of you are thinking, I wish I had had a longer list. (laughs) Wish I had been clearer. You know, it, it really is a little bit scary when you ask people, single people, what's your must list for somebody you would consider marrying? What's your must not list? Or when you ask married people, hey, if you had to start over right now and you had to look, what would be the musts and what would be the must nots for you? And to just realize how many people are like, I have no idea. Well, I, I don't know. And, and here's the, the scary thought that I think is behind that. I think for a lot of people, it's just kind of like, hey, I don't want to be too picky. <laughs> I just want to make sure that if somebody comes along and they like me and they look decent, you know, they've got a decent looking body. Uh, I don't want to have much on my list that might rule them out. Well, Let me just say, there's a lot more important stuff than did they have a cute face and were they skinny. What would make up your list of must and must nots? And let's just go ahead and decide on the front end that I absolutely will never date a person lacking a must or possessing a must not once I've made my list. Because we're not talking about wants here. We're going to talk about wants, but right now we're talking about musts. This is the non-negotiable stuff. I will not date someone who lacks something on my must list or who possesses something on my must not list. And you may say, well, I thought we were talking about marriage. Why would I not date someone, at least just kind of casually? And and the reason for that is very simple. Because if you're ever going to get married, you're going to marry somebody that you date, right? It's a safe thing to say. You will not marry someone that you do not date, correct? So the best place to apply these principles is in your dating life. So I'm going to give you a couple of good biblical examples of musts, and then we're going to mention one other thing before we move on. First of all, we can say from the Scripture, you must be spiritually compatible, right? Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.14, Do not unite yourself with an unbeliever. They are not fit mates for you. Anything unclear about that? If they don't love Jesus... If they don't follow Jesus, you don't date them. Agreed? It is going to lead to misery. More misery than you can imagine if a believer gets in a relationship with an unbeliever. Now, here's the catch on this one. 99% of the people in the South will declare that they're Christians. Especially if the question comes up in the context of dating. I don't think there are 25 men in Alabama who if asked by a woman that they like... Are you a Christian? Are going to say, no, I'm not a Christian. I'm a heathen. I just want to get you naked in the dark. No, every man in Alabama loves Jesus. If a, if a good-looking woman is asking the question, ladies, am I right? Every man is going to say he loves Jesus. You don't judge by what comes from his lips in answer to that question. That is barely the beginning point. You watch his life. If you're going to find out just in a dialogue whether or not they follow Jesus, don't ask them if they're a Christian because they're probably going to answer in the context of, well, I ain't a Muslim and I'm not a Hindu and I'm not, not an atheist. Yeah, I'm a Christian. That doesn't count for diddly squat. If you're going to just try and find out by questioning them, ask them questions that would get at the heart of, of what a follower of Jesus would look like. Hey, tell me about your faith. If you're a believer, tell me about how you came to know Christ. Talk to me about your relationship with Christ now and how you're living that out. And if at that point, he or she's kind of kicking the ground, well, you know, I'm not really, you know, 
I'm not that really into it. Well, guess what? I'm not going to be that really into you. Don't chase anyone who doesn't chase Jesus. They're not worth it. Not at that point. And ladies, I'm, I'm going to do my best to stay off the soapbox. I'm just going to say it quickly. Stop trying to save that scumbag of a guy that you are going to bring to Jesus by loving him. Love him from a distance. But please stop going after the sorriest guys in town going to win them to Jesus through a dating relationship. It is no different than if Terry walks up here right now and we grab each other's hands and, you know, you tell me, am I going to more easily pull him up on stage with me or is he going to more easily pull me down to the floor level? You know who's going to win that every time. It has nothing to do with which one of us is stronger. It has everything to do with position relative to each other. The one in the lower position is always going to win. He's going to pull me down before I can pull him up. You get in a dating relationship with a scumbag, he's going to pull you down every time. A dating relationship is not where you win this out. That's why Paul is so straightforward. Just don't go there. Don't unite yourself with an unbeliever. They are not fit mates. Secondly, you must be compatible. You must have a compatible life purpose and direction. Amos 3.3 just gives us a practical word where he says, Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? God has made us what we are in Christ Jesus. God made us to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to live our lives doing. The whole idea is, look, God made you a certain way. He's got callings on your life. And you just need to be in agreement that you're moving in a particular direction and that this person wants to move in that direction too. And that can apply to a lot of different areas. Some of that is understanding just how God has shaped you and what He's doing with you. But some of it's just kind of big global stuff. If you're dating someone or you're interested in someone and it is very clear by their lifestyle, their actions, that they are all about money. They're all about bling and what they drive and what they live in and they want to have more and they are convinced that having more is going to make them happier. And God has worked in your heart in a way that you have really become burdened for the needs of others. And God's just done such a work in you to be generous and you're more burdened about seeing people reached and giving to missions and alleviating the suffering of those who are in poverty. And that's the direction that you're moving with your life, that the only reason you would have any interest in making more money is so that you could be more generous. I want to tell you, that person who thinks that having more is going to make them more happy is never going to be a good fit for you. Not while they're thinking that way. You've got to line up with someone whose life is moving in the same direction as you or you're going to be at cross purposes with them. Now, that's just a couple of examples. There are all kinds of things that, that might be must and must not. You know, hey, this is all really familiar stuff for me because I've been single the past few years. And I've had to think through and process these things. And I, I've got must and must nots that were on my list. Some of my must and must nots weren't, I mean, they included those two things. But some of them won't sound spiritual to you at all. You want to know what one of my big must nots was? She must not have young children, period. I've been raising kids for 25 years, my own kids. I'm tired. I am. I am just like give out on raising kids. And the thought of, you know, somebody having little kids that are going to need another 15 years of care, I don't have 15 years left in the tank. I'm sorry. Some of you do. God bless you. I don't. That was a must not. 
I'll tell you another must not that some of you will think is just unspiritual. She, she must not be a cat lover with indoor cats. Not a chance. Wouldn't think about it. I'm so allergic to those suckers. I, I wouldn't, I'd have to give up breathing to be in a relationship like that. That's a must not for me. I'll tell you another one. She must not be a vegetarian. I love red meat way too much. I just wasn't going to go there. And, you know, you can't tell me one doesn't impact the other. If she never eats meat, she ain't going to cook enough meat. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So not all of this is spiritual stuff. But you better figure out your own list, what you can and can't live with. Now, beyond the must list, there's the want list. And it helps if you have personal compatibility. And I'm just, I'll just quickly mention several areas that you would think of in terms of personal compatibility. You know, parenting, ooh, that is a big one, especially if you ever remarry. But, but just raising kids, period. It's just ideas on parenting, that's a big one. Um, intelligence level, ooh, let me tell you, that is huge. If you are really smart, and this is going to sound, man, this is going to sound bad. You're going to have a hard time being in a long-term, decades-long relationship with somebody whose intelligence level is very different from yours. And that doesn't make one person better or worse. But I'm just telling you, if there's a vast difference in intelligence levels, it makes it much more difficult to find things that you share in common. It, it just It's one of those things. It helps if you're close to each other. Energy levels, uh, eating habits, uh, love for pets. Uh, family background and how interested you are in being close to extended family. It helps if you sort of share those things in common, how, how much you want to do those things. You know, a love for things like travel, just personal interests. It helps a great deal if you share some personal interests in common with this person. Jackie and I were talking through this this week as I was preparing for the message, and we were, we were comparing our, our wants portion of our list with each other. And, and we hit on a bunch of things. We completely miss each other on a few. That was really interesting to talk through those. I mean, that, that really is, you better brace yourself if you're going to have that kind of conversation with your spouse when they tell you, I would have rather had, you know, in terms of my wants, some of these things that just are not you, but I'm really glad that I got all of these. And, and trust me, you're never going to find somebody that's going to perfectly match up on all of these things. And, and let me go ahead and say this too. One of the fundamental questions for people in what we're talking about is, is there one person out there, students, consider this, is there one person out there in the world that is the perfect match for you? Only 29% of Americans believe that there is. I am not one of them. I'm part of the 7 out of 10 who believe that, that there is not one person who's a perfect match for you. The Bible does not teach that God created one mate for you and He's trying to lead you to that one person. You won't find that in the Scriptures. Now, you may come to some conclusion from a basic principle of Scripture that you think that you have a perfect life made, and I may be blowing up your idea of just the relationship that you have, but I believe that marriage was made for our sanctification and that there are some people that would be terrible mates for you because you're going to fight like a cat and a dog no matter how much you love Jesus because you weren't good fits for each other. But I personally believe that there are a number of people out there with whom you could have a happy, healthy, long-term relationship and that God's goal in the relationship, while He wants you to be happy, that His goal, first and foremost, is that He wants to make you more like Jesus in that relationship. 
which way is he going to have more success in doing that? In bringing someone to you who is identical to you or somebody who's got some differences? Who's going to rub you? Who is not always going to go, oh, thank you, honey, that was exactly what I wanted to do anyway. How much does that mature you spiritually? How much more does it stretch you when your mate's going, mm, not so much. No, I don't think I want to do that. I don't think I want to go there. Forcing you to, instead of always being able to serve self, to have to pause, put your own desires and needs on hold at times to say, well, let me defer to you. We'll do what you would like to do. Oh, that t teaches us much more about following Christ, doesn't it? So, for starters, I'll just tell you, as we start this thing, I believe that there are a number of people that God could use in your life as a healthy mate for you that you could be very happy with and that He could use to really knock the rough edges off and make you more like Jesus. So in this, it's going to be nice if you've got a number of interests in common, but you won't find a perfect mate who shares everything in common with you. When I think talk about sharing interests in common, I mean, like Jackie and I were just kind of inventorying some of the ones that we're glad that we share in common, that we both love the theater. We love live productions. We hold season tickets to live theater, and we travel to, we don't just do Theater 98, but Pensacola and Mobile and wherever to, to go to live theater. We enjoy that. We love the beach. We, we love uh, good books. We love the same kinds of books. We love murder mysteries and thrillers. We just got hold of a, of a new great one, a bi big one, 10 days ago, 650 pages long, and we're already two-thirds of the way through it. We, we sit and read to each other, take turns reading good books to each other. We both, we're, we're nerds. We both love board games and playing cards, and we'll just sit up and read to each other and play cards or play backgammon and stuff with each other. We, we enjoy a lot of simple things in life together. But then some of our interests totally miss each other. Those of you who know me know I bleed crimson. I love Alabama football better than red meat. I love Alabama football. Jackie would be content to never have to watch an Alabama football game the rest of her life. I can live with that because she is not an Auburn fan. See, that was on the must-not list. So she passed the test. She is willing to lay on the couch with me and sleep while I watch Alabama football. So... You don't have to perfectly line up, but you have to line up on the basics. Auburn fans, I'm not slamming on you. You should have on your must-not list to be an Alabama fan, so just keep that in, in order. All right, number three, seek to be the type of person that you want to attract. It's such a basic concept, and yet we'll, we'll run past that. Paul said in Galatians 6-5, each person must be responsible for himself or for herself. Now, that one line... It applies to so many things. I mean, it applies in a big way to married people. Because whenever I do marriage counseling, it just becomes almost comical and sometimes exhausting how much of the time the stuff that you're listening to, you just want to go, time out. I know you're telling me what a louse your spouse is, but you can't fix anything in your spouse. And that's what people come for in counseling most of the time is to fix their mate. You can't fix your mate. There's only one person you can work on, and that is you. Well, that's true when you're in a relationship, but when you're thinking in terms of a relationship, the one person you ought to be working on is you. You need to work on being the kind of person that you want to date. It's crazy how much of the time the people who are out there, they are living the single life, they are going to clubs, they're going to, to parties and bars, and they're... Man, they are partying and having a good time. They are hooking up. I mean, they are living the life. But then when you talk to them about 
would you ever be interested in getting married? Well, yeah, I would. Well, what kind of person would you like to marry? Would you like to marry somebody who's partied a lot and hooked up a lot? No, no, no. I want to marry a woman who, you know, she's living right and she's faithful and she's all these things. And it's like, how does that work? You want to get to hook up with whoever looks good to you, but you want somebody who's stable and steady and lives with integrity and, and you know, they're gentle and kind and all of these things. You better be what you want to attract. And in the first place, that needs to apply to our character and when you want to think about what you want to attract and what you want to be, can I just give you the cheat sheet for what that ought to look like? It ought to look like what the Holy Spirit is already working on doing in your life. Paul said in Galatians 5, and following, But the Spirit produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Tell me that that is not a portrait of the person that you want to marry the person you want to date, and hopefully the person you want to be. And the cool thing is, that is what the Spirit is already seeking to do in you. So, pressing in spiritually toward Christ and toward the things that are going to help you to mature, that's going to help you work on the character side. Work on being what you want to attract. Now, let me shift gears on that, T, totally. We've been talking about the stuff on the inside. Now, let's talk about the outside for a minute. If you're wanting to get into a relationship, if you're seeking a mate or you're at least, you know, seeking some type of romantic involvement, somebody to date, somebody to, to spend time with, it matters what you look like. It matters what you do with what you have. And, well, th this applies to both men and, and to women. But be thoughtful about that. Sometimes the people who are the hungriest for a meaningful relationship and who are the most down on themselves because they're not in a relationship, sometimes those people will do the least for themselves to position themselves for a relationship in terms of the things that aren't spiritual but that really matter. I mean, basic things like dress in a way that flatters you. I, and I know, you know, we don't need to go too far down that road. But it does not hurt to package yourself in something that looks nice. And I don't have to tell you what that looks like. And if you don't have good taste, talk to a friend who does. You know, there's somebody around you who's got good taste. Shopping for clothes and how to, to dress. You know, take advantage of that. Ask for their help. Again, not spiritual at all, but it helps. Get your hair cut some, by somebody who knows what they're doing. You know, don't go to the guy who's half price because he's still in barber school. If, if you're not thrilled with the way that you look, supercuts may not be where you want to get your hair cut this week. You know, you may want to actually spend a little more money to get a look that's fresh and that's new and that's, that's you. And, hey, I think it's awesome when a woman is just naturally beauty without, beautiful without any makeup. But, hey, if makeup would help the situation... Go for it. I, I, there's nothing insulting about that. I, hey, don't think I'm weird when I say this, but if there were a guy equivalent for this, I'd be all for it. I mean, guys, think about it. We kind of have a disadvantage. My eyes are just baggy. I don't have anything I can do for them. You know, I'm, we just, we're kind of stuck with that. But do whatever you can do to present yourself in the best light that you can. And one of those things is just take care of your body. You know, do, do your best. 
to eat right and get some exercise and to just be as healthy as you can. It's not a beauty contest. We're not trying to say, oh, it's all about outward appearance. But, hey, don't stick your head in the sand and think that outward appearance doesn't matter at all. It does matter. And if you're looking for a meaningful relationship, just do the things that you can do to look the best that you can. And, you know, above all, beauty on the inside matters. But you can be a beautiful person on the inside and hide it with what's on the outside. And so, you know, address both parts of this. Everybody with me on that? Hope it didn't hurt your feelings. But we just need to be practical with this stuff. Number four, look in the right places. And this is tricky. Peterson, in his translation of Psalm 1, opens the book of Psalms by saying this, How well God must like you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon and you don't sneak along Dead End Road. That's great talk, isn't it? It's a great reminder of some of the kinds of places that you don't want to look for love. It, it really is a tremendous challenge for single people to try and figure out, where am I going to meet, potentially, you know, a, somebody who could be a good mate? I mean, you realize that there are two places more than any other that people look for mates, that they, they look for dates. It's the bars and church. You know, clubs and parties and bars and church. It's kind of like two ends of the spectrum. Look in healthy places. And I, I really am approaching this part of the message with a little fear and trepidation because, you know, there's a part of you that wants to go, yeah, church is a great place to look. It, it is in a way, and yet I feel a little creeped out by saying that because, man, there are some people who come to church that they're just scoping it out like it's a meat market for heaven's sake. You know, there are people you're afraid to have in your small group because they're like zoned in on all the singles. Okay, that is not what we want to turn church into. But it is a good idea that we want to look in healthy places and church can be and is a healthy place, but please don't make it that kind of place like, ooh, I'm, I'm always in a search mode when I'm at church because that sort of creeps the rest of us out. So just, you know, consider some of the healthy places. It's easier to rule out some places that aren't healthy. Solomon reminds us of, of you know, a basic category in Proverbs 7 when he says this, Once while I was at the window of my house, I looked out through the shutters and I saw some foolish young men and I noticed one of them had no wisdom. He was walking down the street near the corner on the road leading to her house. Then the woman approached him, dressed like a prostitute. How a woman dresses may tell you a lot. She was dressed like a prostitute and planning to trick him. She grabbed him and kissed him. And without shame, she said to him, Come, let's make love until morning. Let's enjoy each other's love. My husband is not home. He has gone on a long trip. Don't let yourself be tricked by such a woman. Don't go where she leads you. She has ruined Many good men. Solomon is reminding us not so much about physically where you go to look for love, but about being wise in terms of the directions that you look for love. We live in a time that is totally unprecedented in history where people have an ability to engage in relationships that seem completely harmless, totally innocuous when they start out. And that rapidly, rapidly spiral to a very unhealthy place. You all know what I'm talking about. Texting, social media, Facebook private messages, all the different forms of, of being able to make personal connections with somebody of the opposite sex that oftentimes starts out as just a friendly, casual interest that then can you know begin to go other places. And let's just go ahead and say... 
absolutely, absolutely rule out any kind of connections with somebody who's already married. Now, I'm talking to married people and single people. Guard yourself, guard yourself when it comes to communication with somebody of the opposite sex. If you're married, anybody of the opposite sex. Whether you're married or not, anybody who is in a marriage relationship, guard yourself. Some of the best ways to guard yourself is to make sure other people see what your communication looks like. And to just as little as possible, just have as little contact as possible across any lines where somebody's married and they're of the opposite sex. Dangerous, dangerous ground. Whether either of you have evil intent to begin with. Solomon is just reminding us in you know, a more ancient setting what that looks like. If he were here today, I think he'd be talking about private messaging. Dangerous, dangerous territory. That is not where you look. Where do you look? You know, I would have never believed five or ten years ago that I would be standing here and on a Sunday morning saying this. But um, I, I'm just going to throw out a thought that I, I never would have really seriously considered before. But, but let me set it up by saying this. I, I read something recently that I, I found kind of amusing and interesting. It was, an, it was a paper written by Peter Bacchus, a Brit, who in 2010, he published a paper entitled, Why I Don't Have a Girlfriend. He's a mathematician, which may explain part of why he doesn't have a girlfriend, but uh, he, he's a mathematician who took his field of expertise and applied it to the area of dating. And he used a very complex equation called the Drake Equation where he took some of the stuff that we've been talking about, his must and must-nots and the things that he would, would look for and absolutely would not consider in a mate. And through the Drake Equation and the number of available women in all of the United Kingdom, he did this massive calculation and came out with, in 2010 when he was writing this, that there were approximately 26 women in all of the U.K., who were potential mates for him. They fell in the appropriate age range and would meet the, the right qualifications. There were 26 of them in the whole country. He further, as a mathematician, calculated that on any given night that he went out in London and the number of people that he would interact with and the number of women that he would meet, that on any given one night that he had a 1 in 285,000 chance of meeting any one of the 26 on any one night. Anybody ready to go out and commit suicide yet? You know, it's, I, I share that just to say there is a good point behind what he's saying. When you think in terms of the challenge of finding someone who really is going to be a good life mate for you, it's a challenge. It's not just everyone that you bump into. There's not 285,000 people in this room, you know. The, the pools of people that you know tend to be rather small. And it can be a challenge to look in the right places and to look long enough and to be patient enough. All of that I say as a setup to something that I never would have dreamed that I would be saying in church. And it is this. If you are at a place that you're saying, you know what, I, I've done this stuff. And I really am at a place, I'm ready to consider a relationship. I am open to a relationship. I am a candidate for a relationship. I, I'm looking. Hey, church is a great place to look. And absolutely, as you're looking, the very top thing you ought to be doing is praying and asking for God's guidance every day in that. Don't let up in that. That's the most important part. But as you're looking, hey, if I were in a mode to start from scratch, I think one of the things that I would consider in light of the challenge and the opportunity that's before you is 
I don't think I'd be afraid of using the Internet in an appropriate way. Now, some of you are going, you're crazy. I've never done it. So I'm speaking beyond what I know. But it is interesting to consider that this medium that has for many become a way to get into a bunch of unhealthy relationships, that it is at least providing an opportunity for you to fish in a much bigger pool where you can spell out your must and your must nots. Stick to your guns. I know right now pretty much the whole room is looking at me like, what are you saying? I'm just throwing out possibilities. Church is one possibility, but reality is there's 150 people here today. And if you're single, there's a real good chance your mate ain't here just by the numbers. It's okay to look beyond here. Uh, it's, it's good to get into places where you're going to interact with people. Do things that you're interested in. Travel. Take cooking classes. Take dancing classes. Do whatever in the community where you meet people. But don't look for mates in unhealthy places. And hey, if, if modern technology enables you to you know, kind of see what's out there, to, to make connections with appropriately available people, and to check out some things before you've gotten into a dating relationship, hey, it's safer to do that at a keyboard, possibly, than it is to have to go out and be alone with somebody that you don't know whether they're a slasher or not. You know, So for whatever it's worth, that's not biblical. That's just food for thought. And for those of you who are old enough to have never dreamed of this, don't think that I'm crazy. I'm just throwing something out to consider. Fifth and finally, a really important one, give yourself plenty of time. Man, when we're ready, we're ready so quickly. But don't rush it. It's interesting that the age at which people are getting married for the first time is moving up, up, up very rapidly. The average age, at least as of the most recent studies a couple of years ago, the average age for a man in a first-time marriage uh, is 29 and for a woman is 27. So combined, the average first marriage age in America today is 28. That is five years older than what it was 30 years ago in the 80s. That's getting pushed back rapidly. Now, there's a good side to that because we are emotionally much more mature and in a position to make better choices in our mid to late 20s than we are in our late teens. But, man, it is scary to consider this, that we are, if you use that number 27 to 29 as the average age that people are getting married for the first time, but you consider that we... Physiologically, we reach sexual maturity about 15 years before that. Everything's working about 15 years sooner. And you're not getting into a marriage relationship until 15 years later. And we realize that most of the worst and most destructive decisions that we'll make in our lives happen in that 15-year window, don't they? When everything is working except our brains, you know, at, at the full capacity. Emotionally and mentally, we're not there yet. I mean, we know now that 25 is the age at which the brain, and just in terms of human development, that we are emotionally and mentally uh, fully matured, that, that it's all ripened at 25. So it's kind of nice that marriage is happening later. Giving yourself time is a good thing. Students, young people, forcing yourself to take your time. To not rush into heavy relationships. Parents, please help your kids slow down. You know, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there is a, there's a time for everything. There is a season for everything. There is a time to love. There is a time to love. But let's don't rush our kids to this. 
The culture is telling them that they ought to be in a steady relationship by the time they're in high school. That they ought to be dating. That they ought to be into all of these things. Hey, let them enjoy friendships. Encourage them to take their time. And as adults, if you're single, take your time. Think about it this way. If you just move to this area and you're looking for a house, and you know that there are a lot of constraints about what you need in terms of a house. You need it to be, you want it to be so many square feet, and if you study your budget, you realize it's got to be under a certain cost, and you need so many bedrooms and bathrooms, and you have some real desires in terms of garage and, and yard and all of those things. But when you put it all down on the page, if you have to run out and try and find that right now, you know, especially if you've got some financial constraints, there may not be a house that matches all of that right now. When you really get down to, I need it to be in this school zone, and I, I really am looking, you know, we, we've got aging parents that we may need to have a mother-in-law suite, and so I need that. When you put all the things on the page of what you're looking for in a house, if you've got to find it this week, there's a real good chance that you're going to get fouled up, that you're going to get a house that didn't, you know, match up to the right school or that cost you more than you can afford or that something wasn't what you needed for it to be because you rushed it. But what happens if you can give yourself months or even a year or two to just watch the market and wait? Get in a rental maybe. And you just keep watching. Have somebody that you trust who's helping you watch. You've got a much better chance, don't you, of getting what you really were looking for. The same is true in terms of relationships. If you just won't rush it, singles, don't rush it. Give yourself plenty of time. Pray. Seek God's guidance. And just realize the longer that you wait, the longer that you're out there, the longer that you're praying and interacting with people and watching, the bigger pool the pool is of potential candidates for you, the better the chance that you wind up with just the right house, with just the right mate. Close with the, uh, the line from Psalm 3115, My times are in your hands. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your times are in God's hands and that God has a plan for your life, that He knows what you need, and that He's committed to bringing the best into your life? If you believe that, you don't have to force it. Enjoy the relationships that you're in. Enjoy the friendships that you're in. Network with good friends that you have that you trust who love Jesus and who aren't going to steer you to goofballs. And enjoy the relationships that you have, and trust God with each day of your life. He's got a good plan. He can be trusted. Don't be discouraged if this hadn't happened as quickly as you want it to happen. It's God's timing, and He doesn't waste a day of our lives. One of the most peculiar things in my life that I, I discovered over the past few years, I wasn't shocked to discover when I went through separation and divorce that I hated being alone. Really hated being alone. Had been married for 24 years and just found it really, really miserable. And when I got to the point that I began to date and began to consider the idea of being married again one day and all of those things, it wasn't until I got to the point, though I, I loved the idea of ever being married again, and I had even grown to love Jackie at that point, but it was not until I got to the point that I realized that I could be happy, married or single, for the rest of my life. It wasn't until I got to a place 
that I was healthy enough and happy enough with myself and my relationship with Christ and my relationships with friends that I realized I can lead a happy and fulfilling life as a single man or a married man for the rest of my days. And it wasn't until I got to that place that I actually became a good candidate to become a husband. It's not God's plan for everybody here to be a husband or a wife. That's not success. That's not the goal. But for those who have a desire for a meaningful relationship with another, I will encourage you, it's a good thing to get to a point that you're okay with you and what God is doing in you, and you can be happy where you are. And it's amazing sometimes what happens when you get content with just that very thing. Would you join me as we go to the Lord together in prayer? Father, we thank you that you love us so deeply and that you have shaped us to love and to be loved. Thanks for the many different ways that you package that for the love that we share with our parents and siblings, for the love that that you give us with our children. Thank you for good friends. Thank you for brothers and sisters in the faith. We thank you for the special relationships that you give us with another man, with another woman, and for what that does to us, for how much fun and joy and satisfaction there is in having a best friend who is a romantic friend who can wind up becoming a mate. Thank you for what that does for us, how you sharpen us, how you're redeeming us through that. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that in each of our lives, you would help us to honor you in all of our relationships. I pray that as we move through this series, that you would sharpen the relationships that we're in, that you would really help us to emerge in a much healthier place. God, I pray for the vast number of us who are not married, but who hunger for or, or, or maybe experimenting with a relationship. Some who aren't married, but they're in a relationship. God, that you would use this series to encourage us. I pray, God, that you would help some who are single today. And maybe some who've got discouraged hearts that today you would encourage us, that you would meet us at our point of need. You would help us to trust you with today and with our future. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for times where relationships have gone astray, haven't been honoring to you. We just put those under the blood of Jesus and ask you to forgive us and today to give us a new beginning, a fresh start. I pray that you'd fill our hearts with hope as we move forward. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.